0: Well, good morning church. Good morning. We're continuing through the book of Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 46. We're going to go through chapter 47, 47 verse 27. Uh, Joseph, if you remember where we are, has revealed himself to his brothers. They went back home and shared the good news with their father, Jacob, who thought, of course, that Joseph was dead. Uh, And now Jacob is on his way down to Egypt. That's what we'll be picking it up this morning. The last thing he said in Genesis 45, verse 28 is, he said, Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. All right, so let's read Genesis 46 through 47, verse 27. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And then Jacob set out from Beersheba, The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' daughters with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Paulu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Yob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulon were Sered, Elon, and Jalil. And these are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob and Paddan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. All together, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shunai, Esbon, Eri, Erodi, and Ariel. The sons of Asher, Imnah. Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, was Sarah their sister, and the sons of Beriah, Heber and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him, and the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher. Ashbel, Gera, Namam, Ehi, Rosh, Mupam, Hupam, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The son of Dan, Husham, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shelem, These are the sons of Bilhah whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons, wives... Were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were seventy. Verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Chapter 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flock, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of my years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brother, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Now... There was no food in all of the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, "...give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone." So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when the year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, "...we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land?" by us and our land for food and we will and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die in the land and that the land may not be desolate so Joseph brought, bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh for all that the Egyptians sold for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them the land became Pharaoh's as for the people he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other only the land of the priests he did not buy For the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as a seed for the field, and as for food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So, Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus, Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that that just like we see here in Genesis, that even in times of famine, in times of trouble... You're with us. You tell us, don't be afraid. Don't fear. I will go with you in these times. And I pray, Lord, that we just continue to look to you and that we, that we learn from us, that your spirit speak to us, use your words this morning, Lord, and speak it to our hearts so that we draw closer to you and we understand what our days are and how we are to live them. For your glory. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Israel's taken his journey, Jacob, taken his journey down to Egypt. And that word for journey in the Hebrew is a real simple word. It's just Nasa, and it means just departed and go forth. Now, Israel departed from Hebron, which is also known as Mamre, as in the Oaks of Mamre. Or it's also known as Kiriath Arba. It's basically the land of Canaan. Right? Now, it's interesting because Hebron means association. And it comes from a root meaning joined together. Now, Hebron is where Abram settled way back in Genesis 13. This is where he built an altar to God when he and Lot parted ways. Remember, they came into the land of Canaan, and he said, listen, we can't just keep camping together. You need to find a spot. I need to find a spot. We're both big families, right? And, and Lot set his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah, but, but Jacob settled in Hebron, and he built an altar there, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And that was back in Genesis 13. And Mamre, which is basically where uh, Abram settled by the oaks of Mamre, right? Mamre just means strength. And it's a, it's a reference not only um, to, the, to the strength of the land, but also to the trees, right? The oak trees. Now, Kiriath Arba, and this is really just a little bit of biblical trivia for you, so you can win trivia night next time you're, you're doing Bible trivia. But Kiriath Arba, which just literally means, in the Hebrew, it just means city of Arba, uh, this was the name the area was known by before it was conquered and called Hebron. So you'll notice as you go through that they call it by different names. They'll call it Miami, they'll call it Hebron, they'll call it Kiriath Arba, it's all the same place. right? But here's the interesting trivia point for you, just to take with you. Arba was the father of Anak. Anak is where we get the Anakim, and the Anakim were the giants in the land. Okay? So this is where Abraham settled, this is where Abraham was living, and even though they went in different places and came back, the family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all lived here in, this, in the land of giants. They lived here in, in Hebron. So Abraham was still living here in the Oaks, when of course he was visited by the Lord in Genesis 18. Isaac lived in this area. Jacob was originally born in this area, right before he ran off to avoid being killed by his brother Esau, way back in Genesis 28. And of course, when he came home from Haran, because remember that's where Uncle Laban lived, right? It was in Haran where he had lived almost 20 years. I think it was like over 20 years there, right? And he, of course, he got married in Haran. All his kids were born in Haran. But he he eventually came back and settled here in. Hebron, in the land of giants. But now he's headed out. He's headed out on a journey, right? And he's headed out somewhat trepiditiously, if that's a word. I don't even know. Is that a word? Right? So he's headed out somewhat trepiditiously, right? He's nervous. He's scared. And, and how do we know this? Well, because he stops at Beersheba. Like, Beersheba is the last uh, pit stop before you leave Canaan, right? You know how you're driving and it'll say, you know, last rest stop for 352 miles or something like that, right? This is, this is what Beersheba was. It was the last pit stop for Jacob before he left the land of Canaan, right? So he, he pulls over (laughs) to Beersheba, right? Uh, And he offers some sacrifices to the Lord and the Lord speaks to him. And we know that he was nervous or scared because what does the Lord say to him? The Lord says, don't fear, Don't be scared. I'm going to go with you as you go down into Egypt, right? So what's the significance of Beersheba? Well, Beersheba we first learned about back in Genesis 21. When Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael away into the wilderness, it was the wilderness of Beersheba where he sent them. Um, Abraham made a covenant with uh, Abimelech there because Abraham had built a well there, and there was this whole, uh, you know, all this stuff going on with it. Uh, Abimelech servants coming and filling in the wells or claiming the wells for their own and it, there had this feud going on, right? So they, they made a covenant there because um, Abraham had dug wells there. So Abraham named the place Beersheba, meaning well of oath or, or seven else. It was there that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, right? Which some people say is still there today. Matter of fact, you, I showed you pictures at the time we were going through it. I didn't bring them with me today, but... Um, they, they have the wells that they think that were built. They have the tree. The tree is actually out on the sidewalk outside of the, of the place where they have the wells, if you actually look at the pictures today. But, so all that's there. Abraham would dwell there in Beersheba himself for a while, right after he had offered Isaac up on Mount, um, Mount Moriah. So he'd actually lived there for a little bit himself. It was there that Abraham called upon the name of the Lord, and he called upon the everlasting God. That was at Beersheba. The everlasting God is Jehovah El Olam. And it's it's interesting because what Abraham recognized at that point when he called upon the everlasting God was he recognized that God had eternity in view. He looked at things differently than Abraham did. God could see way more than Abraham could see. What does Jesus say about himself? He says he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. He is the first and the last. In other words, Jesus is an everlasting, eternal God. Right? He's without beginning or end. It's a common question. Right? Well, before everything was created, how, you know, how, well, yeah, where did God come from? Who created God? No one. Right? He's without beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's eternal. So Abraham recognized that when he called upon God and he built the altar there at Beersheba, that God had eternity in view. Well, you know what? Later, Isaac recognized that as well. He recognized that God had eternity in view because Isaac came here into Beersheba in Genesis 26. He was also at this time quarreling with Abimelech over wells and land and everything just as Abraham had been, right? And when when Isaac went there in Genesis 26, the Lord appeared to him as well in Beersheba and he told him, I am the God of Abraham, your father, fear not, for I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake, right? So Isaac built an altar there as well and called upon the name of the Lord. Right? So Isaac and Abraham both were worshiping an everlasting God, a God that they knew had eternity in view, the eternity for them right in view. He could see beyond what they could see, and he was making promises, and he said, fear not, right? I am going to bless you and multiply your offspring. So now Jacob's here. Now Jacob's been here before. Right? He's lived near here, but this time he's stopping right here on his way out of the land of Canaan heading to Egypt, right? And the Lord speaks to him, and, we're gonna, and Jacob's going to learn here that the Lord has eternity in view for him as well, right? So what does the Lord say to Jacob? Well, we see it in, chap- in verse 2 here in chapter 46. First he calls, he says, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob answers and says, here I am. And then the Lord says to Jacob, says, I am God, right? I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make you into a great nation i myself will go down with you to egypt and i will also bring you up again and joseph's hand shall close your eyes right so you're going to ask yourself well why was jacob scared to go down to egypt right he's reuniting with his son joseph who he thought had been dead Right, 22 years of grief and anguish and mourning for his son. We saw how it affected his view on things, and he learns that he's alive. and he, and, and you would think that he would is just, you know, don't even stop me. I, this is—I'm you know, doing Poland an all-nighter, and we're just going all the way down to Egypt. I'm going to reunite with my son, but he stops and he's afraid. And he calls upon the Lord, which is a great thing to do, because we've seen so many times, right, the patriarchs, in their fear, they don't call upon the Lord, and they just proceed ahead, and they get into so much trouble, and the Lord's like, come on, guys. So why would he be scared? I mean, he's going to be reunited with his son who he thought he was dead. You would think he'd be so excited that he just couldn't even bear, right? He just wants to get there. But but from what the Lord says to him, we kind of extrapolate and kind of figure out why he was afraid. So one reason may be that he thought he would die before he got there. He's not a you know, young spring chicken anymore. He's 130 years old. Right? He's 130 years old. You know, if I was 130 years old, I probably wouldn't want to get up off the couch either. Right? And so would be like, I don't know. You know, it, it takes a lot of work. To, you know, the, you know, he didn't walk, as you notice when you read the scripture, right? The sons put him in the carts, and, and the, the Pharaoh had sent all the wagons, and he rode down all the way to Egypt. He, you know, he's, maybe he thought he wasn't going to make it. The trip necessarily wasn't treacherous or anything like that, but, but at the same time, maybe his health isn't the greatest, and he's just like, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it there. I want to see my son, but I want, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to make it there. You know? And also, you know, considering change, another thing is, is about change. People don't like change. I like things the way they are, and I don't like things to change. They say as we get older, right, the more we fear and resist change even more, right? Now, I'm, not, I'm only 54, but I don't like change either. I can imagine how grumpy I'll be when I'm in my 70s um, <laughs> about change, right, and stuff like that. So along with that, the idea of change for Jacob. Now, when you, when you think about where Jacob was, he was living in the land of Canaan. This is the land of promise. This is where God told them to be. This is where Abraham had gone, and they had pretty much all raised their fathers since Abraham Their kids since Abraham had got there. So he's like, wait a minute, should we actually be leaving the land of Canaan? I mean, I don't know if we should actually be going. I don't really, you know, I kind of like it where I am and I don't really necessarily want to leave. But really, what it was was that he couldn't see what God had planned. He didn't know the future, he doesn't know what's going on. God does. Right? This is what Abraham couldn't see, but then God showed him. This is what Isaac couldn't see, but then God showed him. This is what Jacob couldn't, can't see either, but God showed him. God says, listen, you can't see that. I know you can't see that forehead. Man, you can't hardly see the hand in front of your face. You're still blind probably. Right? But I can see. I know what's going on. Let me tell you what I am doing and why you shouldn't fear. Right? Um, but if, what if we leave leaving the land of Canaan? Are we going to lose our blessing? And God says, no. He says, Don't fear. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. Because, one, because I'm going with you, I will bring you back, and Joseph will close your eyes, which means you're not going to die before you get to see Joseph. Now, Joseph also may have remembered the stories about Abraham going down to Egypt and how that brought him trouble, and about the fact that his own father, you know, Abraham went down to Egypt because of famine. Okay? Isaac went down to Egypt or tried to go down to Egypt because of a famine. When Isaac tried to go down to Egypt, God stopped him and said, don't go down to Egypt, right? Stay here. Don't go down to Egypt. So Isaac didn't go down to Egypt. So Joseph also probably knew those stories. Abraham went down and got in trouble. My father went down and God stopped him and told him not to go, right? Should we really be going down to Egypt? God says yes, Right? right? Isaac was told to stay here, but you, I'm saying it's okay to go. I'm going with you. So he goes. And he takes everyone with him. And they take all their cattle with them, And they, take, they didn't take everything with them, but they took most of the stuff, right? And there's 70 people. And if you read Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, he says there's 75 people. And it doesn't matter the number. Pick whatever you want. There's a lot of people that went on down to Egypt. I'm not going to go over all the names. Right? But it's a lot of people. It's a huge entourage. Right? And the point of it is is that they, God had blessed them, just as he said he would. Right? and just as he's still doing. He had blessed them, and they were growing as a family, and they were wealthy in that regard, and everything was good, yet there was a famine again, right? the same as what his dad Isaac went through, the same as what Abraham went through. And so, yes, God was now taking them out of the promised land and go down to Egypt. So, yes, Jacob, I understand why you're scared. I right? understand your concerns. You would have had concerns too, right? It's okay though, God says. And that seemed to work, right? Because Jacob brought his problems to the Lord and the Lord addressed them told them not to be afraid, told them that he had a plans and he was going to make them into a great nation down in Egypt and that he was going to be with them, right? He's not going to die on the way. And that was seemingly all the assurance that Jacob needed. And he just continues on. Okay, let's continue on, right? So down towards the end of the chapter there, in chapter 46, this is a, you know, a reunion 22 years in the making. And Joseph had told uh, Judah what to do and where to go already. So they go into the land of Goshen, and Joseph hops on the chariot, and he meets them there. And he and his father embrace and cry, and cry some more, and continue to cry. And the whole family's crying, and it was a big cry fest, and it was a big tearjerker. And it would have been the saddest thing you'd ever watch if this was a movie. I mean, because this, I mean, you can't even imagine the emotions that they're going through right now, that his father's going through, being reunited with his son who he thought was dead. And Jacob is content now. Jacob may have thought the Lord was literally telling him, you're not going to die. On the way down there, you're going to meet Joseph, and Joseph's going to close your eyes, meaning right after you meet Joseph, it's okay to die. Because he tells tells Joseph right after he's done, he says, I'm good now. I've seen your face. You're still alive. Let me die now in peace. That's all I needed. But that wasn't God's plan yet. That wasn't God's plan yet. Right? I mean, maybe he thought the Lord was going to take him as soon as he was reunited with his son. Right? He was fine with that. He was fine with that. He was like, "Okay, I'm good. Let's go." But God's like, "No, we still have some. We still have. I still have some plans for you. You're, you're going to live 17 more years. Right? You're going to be 147. So Joseph's going to get some time to play with the grandkids, right? He's, in the, he's, going to, he's going to. He's going to. He's actually going to see how Joseph operates and how everyone respects Joseph. And through his position, how the Lord was using Joseph to provide food for everyone in need, and how he was saving lives. We saw that whole picture in, in, in for, chapter 48 there, right? Or 47. I mean, everything that Joseph did and how he was arranging everything and, and buying all the land and putting all the money aside and buying all the cattle and giving everyone the food and just helping everyone live as the famine continued because the famine went on for seven years and we were already two years into it. So there's you know, five years of this famine that Joseph helped manage. And so when Jacob saw what the Lord was doing through Joseph, he must have been blown away. I mean, it's probably not what he imagined. You know, when his when his sons came back and said, Joseph's alive, and he's the lord over all of Egypt, he's probably like, Okay, you're just sort of, you know, kind of amping it up a little bit for me, making it seem a little great. You know, then he gets down there and says, Oh, wait a minute, he is the Lord of Egypt. Holy cow! He's in charge of everything down here. This is amazing. And so in chapter 47, then they meet the Pharaoh. And Joseph tells them what to say and what to do before they meet the Pharaoh because he, he understands the Egyptians' way of life and understands how the Egyptians look towards foreigners and he understands how the Egyptians look specifically towards those who are raising cattle and raising sheep and stuff like that. Matter of fact, tells us at the end of chapter 46, uh, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, it's quite possible that the Pharaoh didn't know that Joseph's brothers were shepherds. He hadn't let them know that part yet. So before the brothers go to meet the Pharaoh... He doesn't tell them to hide it. He doesn't say, Don't tell them you're a shepherd, right? He says, Tell them you're a shepherd. Tell them you're a shepherd just as your fathers were. Tell them you brought all your cattle. Tell them where you are in the land of Goshen and tell them you'd like to stay there. It's a plan. Joseph has a plan because once you tell them you're a shepherd, the Pharaoh's not going to want you to come intermingle with the rest of the Egyptians. And Joseph knows it would be better for them to stay separated. And so he has a plan. Right, so they settled in Goshen, and Goshen was like the suburbs or the outskirts of, of Egypt. It's at the northern tip up there of Egypt, but it was the best of Egypt, and they received this blessing. The family received this blessing, blessing because of Joseph. Now, it was an area of roughly 900 square miles, and it was, and it was uh, you know, the northeast part of the Nile Delta. It was a very fertile land, and it was excellent for grazing cattle, and, and Joseph already knew all this, so he Brings them into the land of Goshen, and he puts them there, right? Because Joseph's not stupid, and he knows the Egyptians don't like sheep herders. It was a despised and dirty occupation, and, and he knows that they all have flocks and sheep. So he's like, okay, we're going to go right here. We're going to keep you separated from the Egyptians, right? We're going to live apart. It's going to be okay, and I'm going to get the Pharaoh to go along with it. If you do what I say. That's right, so he tells his brothers and his fathers, when he, ask, you know, when he asks you what you do, tell them this, and they do. Right? Now, now you, you might be thinking, well, why did they have to meet the pharaoh? But well, one of the reasons was just because the pharaoh loved Joseph so much. He wanted to meet his family. Right? He, he understood what had happened, and he hadn't seen his father in a long time, and now that his family is here, the pharaoh wants to meet him as well. But the other thing is, now I want you to think about this for just a second, the other thing is why they had to meet the pharaoh Why the family had to appear before the pharaoh? Because there were actually rules about immigration, okay? There were actually rules about immigration. You could not just wander across the border into Egypt and get a free phone and get a free house and all of a sudden vote like you're an American citizen, right? No, you had to go through the, the proper rules of immigration when you went into Egypt, which meant coming before the Pharaoh so he could grill you about who you were, what you did, and where you planned on staying. So they had to go in front of the Pharaoh. There were actually rules about immigration, believe it or not. They just didn't let wander people wander across the border. So Joseph has them meet the Pharaoh, and he does this intentionally. And the Pharaoh does exactly what Joseph expected him to do. He tells them, stay in Goshen, have the best of the land, raise your cattle there, right? Because otherwise, he may have told them, like I said, to assimilate with the Egyptians or to intermarry with the Egyptians and to do all these things that Joseph knew it wasn't for them to do. They knew they shouldn't do that, so he set the whole thing up. And he makes it look like, really, that that was the Pharaoh's idea, right, to begin with. It was really sneaky, and it worked, right? And then verse 27 of chapter, tw- of chapter 47, it, it's uh, summed up all in this one verse. It says, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. As a matter of fact, they multiplied so greatly. Spoiler alert when you get into the book of Exodus. I mean, some people, I mean, it's some 400 years later. 430 years, I think, is what it says. They had a lot more people. They multiplied so greatly, and some, some people will say, well, they had 30,000 people then, or they had 600,000 people then, or they had 2 million people then point is we don't know the number. The number is actually not important. I mean, you can use whatever mathematical equation you want. The number doesn't actually matter about how many people they had. But Exodus tells you that the number was so great that the Pharaoh at the time thought they were too many and too mighty for the Egyptians. They feared the Israelites. They were so great that the Egyptian people were in dread of them. They were scared of the Israelites. Right? That's how large they had grown. That's what God said he was going to do. He was going to turn them into a mighty nation. He was going to grow them down in Egypt, and he did. The Lord has a plan. The Lord is seeing way farther than you can see. And you you may not even, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but you may not even live to see what the Lord has in plan with what he's doing in your life right now. Like I said, he has an eternity in view we sometimes can't even see past our hand, but the Lord is looking way farther, and he had a plan, and he was growing them into the nation. So I just want to look at one verse, really, over, after all that. All right. The key of what I think that we're talking about this morning um, concerning Jacob, and it's in chapter 47, and it's verse 8. It's when the Pharaoh, when he's in front of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh's making small talk, right? He is, right? The Pharaoh says, how many, how many are the days of the years of your life? And that's really just the, I mean, he's just asking them, how old are you? How many years have you lived? Right? It's an innocent question. Right? Like I said, the Pharaoh's just making small talk with, with Jacob. But it's Jacob's answer that's really interesting. And he says to the Pharaoh, now remember when Jacob came in, Jacob blessed the Pharaoh. And when Jacob leaves, Jacob blesses the Pharaoh. The lesser's." Blessing the greater. Right? The Pharaoh didn't bless Jacob. It doesn't say that. But this is what Jacob tells the Pharaoh The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. That's an interesting statement. It may not be what the Pharaoh was expecting. What is Jacob saying? Some say that Israel is just being cynical. Right? That uh, he's a little bit too much focused on sorrow and death. and I mean, he's been grieving for 22 years because he thought Joseph was dead. So he's a little bit too focused on sorrow and death. And then the joys of being reunited, reunited with his son and spending his latter days with his family and stuff like that. Right? He says, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Another way to translate that in the Hebrew is short and unpleasant. He lived to be a, he's 130 years old, and he's saying my days are short. If I live to be 130 years old, I'll be like, hallelujah. I don't know how I made it this far, right? What a blessing, but he's like, I, my dad lived to be 180, my grandfather lived to be 175, I'm only 130, my days are short, as compared to my father's. He didn't attain the years of his fathers or his, or his grandfather, but really, what it comes down to is this: you know, we choose many ways to describe our life. To describe our life, we use many metaphors to describe our life. We might call it a race. We might call it a battle. We might call it a puzzle. Right? There's a quote that says, "Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans." Right? We have all these different quotes and, and metaphors to describe our life. Jacob is using the phrase sojourning. Right, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. And sojourning in the Hebrew is the word magor, and it means pilgrimage. So what Jacob is saying is the days of my pilgrimage are 130 years old. And a pilgrimage is just a journey. Right, now, when we think pilgrimage, when we use specifically the word pilgrimage and not journey, sometimes that attaches to it a spiritual significance. Right. It's a religious or it's a holy journey. Right. If you want to, it, you know, right now you can go you know, to the Middle East and you can drop yourself off up in Turkey and in Haran, you know, where Abraham's family came from, and you can follow a 1,243-mile journey all the way down through Turkey and Egypt and Israel and Jordan, etc., and follow in Abraham's footsteps. That's considered a pilgrimage, you can go on that pilgrimage if you feel brave enough to travel through Turkey and Jordan and Israel and, <laughs> and the political climate that we're in now. And the, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily unless you're going with guards, you know, but you know, it's, it's, it's a pilgrimage. It's actually on the list of top pilgrimages if you like taking a pilgrimage. People think that going to Jerusalem is a pilgrimage, right? And that would be quite the pilgrimage. And Jacob has been on quite a journey. I mean, if you go back to when, you know, we were first introduced to Jacob, and he had to leave his parents and and escape from Esau, I mean, he's traveled quite a bit, right? He was raised in Canaan, he was raised around Beersheba, but he had to flee to Haran. That was a journey of 400 to 500 miles that he had to make to go visit his uncle Laban. And he ends up staying there for 20 some odd years. God tells him to go back home, he does, takes both his wives and all his kids, and their entourage, and they head back home, but he doesn't go home right away, right? He stops at Succoth, and he stops at Shechem, and he gets himself into trouble because of his sons, and and he takes about 11 years to get back to Hebron. He arrives just in time, basically, to watch Isaac pass away. And then he's been living there now in Hebron for another 22 years. And now he's heading down to Egypt, which is easily 100 miles, right? But again, they're going by camel and wagon. We talked to, you know, some people said that was a three-week journey. I don't think it is, but, you know, 100 miles. Of course, we're thinking today, like 100 miles, oh, I can drive that. You know, it's going to be really quick. But, so he's journeyed quite a bit. He has had quite the pilgrimage in that sense. I mean, if he had a suitcase, it would be, they'd have stickers all over it, right? It would look like he was well-traveled. Because he is, and some of us, I mean, some of us are well-traveled. We've been all kinds of different places. I mean, I've never left the country. Well, I've been to Canada, but that never counts, right? <laughs> Canada doesn't count as leaving the country for some reason. But I've, I've, you know, that's the only time I've ever left the country. But I've been all over, I've been to a lot of the states. and you know I mean, I've been to Hawaii once, right? And I've been to Washington, D.C., so I've covered, like, both ends. And I've been to the, some of the places in the middle. And, you know, so we've been to a lot, some of us have been to a lot of different places. Some of us never leave Home, in that sense, right? I was born in California, but my parents were from Washington State. We were just down there because my dad was in the Navy. So they moved back, and, and we've been living in Washington pretty much all our, all our lives. And yes, I've lived in Snohomish, and I've lived in Linwood, and I've lived in Everett, you know, but that's not really much of a journey. You're still within, you know, the same areas. But here's the thing, when we're talking about pilgrimage and we're talking about journeys and we're talking about Jacob telling the Pharaoh, the days of my years of my pilgrimage are 130 years, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. He's not necessarily referring to this journey down to Egypt. He's not necessarily referring to who, you know, his travels. He's referring to more than just the physical. Yes, he's journeyed quite a bit, but the journey is more than just how many stamps you have on your passport or how many stickers you have on your luggage, right? It's not just about the road trips or how many states you've been in or visited, right? It's it's a bigger picture than that, especially when we look through it through the eyes of God's Word and God's plan for our lives. The word in the Hebrew, besides meaning sojourn or pilgrimage, also means being a stranger, Jacob saying, "I've been a stranger in this land for 130 years." Right? Hebrews eleven thirteen helps us understand that. It says the, they all died in faith, referring to these great men of faith in the Hebrews chapter eleven. A lot of them patriarchs, right? They they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar which means the promises given to them by God, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Jacob understood that he was a stranger, that he was an exile on the earth. He and his fathers had pretty much lived nomadic lives. And as it says in Hebrews chapter 11, they were seeking a better country, they were seeking a heavenly country. And Jacob's life was a pilgrimage. It was a journey, and it was towards that one thing. A heavenly country. So this isn't a cynical statement by Jacob. It was actually an honest reflection of his life. He understands that God has blessed him and that God is with him. He's not angry at God. If anything, he's just really upset, maybe about him, his uh, himself. He's not complaining; he's just stating a fact. He recognized that the general character of his life, which had pretty much been the life lived in the flesh, and the length of his life, didn't compare to eternity. Right, Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. These things, he said, my, I'm 130 years old. I haven't obtained the years of my fathers. My days have been short <laughs> and evil. He's just like, I've lived my life mostly in the flesh. I've made choices that weren't the best. And because of that, because life is a direct result of the choices that you make often, right? And he hadn't always made the best choices. Because of that, he's sort of, compa- he's sort of, spiritually speaking, it could have been better, he says. It could have been better. It's like I said, it's not a complaint. It's not a cynical statement. It's an honest reflection from Jacob looking back at his life. Right? He's saying that, hey, my life's been a difficult one. And it's brought me more misery and distress than it should have. That was because of my choices. I wished I hadn't lived it so much in the flesh. He's kind of looking at it like it's the end of things, and he has some regrets maybe about some of the choices that he makes, but here's one thing you need to understand. This statement here that he makes is true of of man in in general. When I say man, I mean humankind, okay? I see humanity. Job 14.1, Job 14.1 says, Man man who was born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. That means all of us. All of us are few of days and full of trouble. And if you don't believe that, just if you can, not ask your parents. They'll tell you. You're always full of trouble. Right? right? It's true. Our days are few and full of trouble. And it's often trouble we cause. Often the trouble that we're in are trouble that we caused. I mean, as Paul says in Romans 7, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is the struggle that we have in life. It's the struggle between a spirit-filled walk and flesh, right? This is the struggle that we have. There are so many choices that we made that we probably wish we could go back and change, right? And so because of that, sometimes we live in regret instead of joy. Sometimes we live in shame instead of grace, but remember this, and this is what Jacob is going to find out. Jacob feared God, and God had eternity in view. Not the present, necessarily. Eternity. Right? And though Jacob thought his life was short and evil, the, actual, the pleasant days of his life lay just before him. God saw that. Jacob didn't see it yet. His last years his sunset years, if you want to call it that, would be, as Warren Wiersbe puts it, they would be as autumn with the warm golden sunshine of peace and the bounties of God's gracious harvest. Right? He would have 17 years with Joseph and his family. Right? There's a Jewish proverb that says, for the, ignorant old, for the ignorant, old age is winter, but for the learned, it is a harvest. And what that means is, is that our life lessons some of which are very difficult, many of which we fail, can either bring us a winter or a harvest. And If we continue to live a life in ignorance of God and His ways and His word, then old age could bring a cold winter to us. However, when we view life with an eternal perspective, and we place our faith in God and His Word, and we learn and grow from that, and we apply His Word to our lives, and we're using His Word as a guide for all that we do, and we've surrendered our lives fully unto Jesus. And there's a harvest that comes from that in our lives, and possibly in the lives of those around us even. Right? Understanding that our righteousness does not come from our youth. It doesn't come from our beauty. It doesn't come from our works. It doesn't come from how old we live or don't live, or how many places we've traveled or haven't traveled, none of that makes up our righteousness. It's only Jesus. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become, we might become the righteousness of God. Well, when we understand that, then we can live our lives in the way of righteousness. And we can view our pilgrimage, our journey, Not as days of evil, but instead as a journey towards eternity. Because how many of us, if today, if you were asked, how's your life been? Are going to answer pretty much like Jacob, right? Well, my days are short and full of evil, right? I mean, if you're going to honestly reflect back and look at your life, how many of us are going to be like, well, I could have done better probably most of us. I could have done better. I could, I could have been more Spirit-led. I could have walked in the Spirit way better than I did instead of the flesh. I could have learned to control that, my temper. I could have learned to, you know, be more caring and compassionate. There's a lot of things I could have learned to do better. And we tend to look on the here and now. We tend to sit right here and go, well, it could have been this, or it could have been that, or... You know, I I could have done so much better. But God's like, well, your best days were right here in front of you. They're right here in front of you. You don't know what I have planned. You can't see eternity like I can. You think think you're old? (laughs) You think you're dying? You think you're, you're one foot in the grave and I'll be lucky if I wake up tomorrow? God's like, you should see what I have planned for you. Your days on this earth aren't over yet. And even if it's only one day that God's given you, God said that one day. You know what Jacob is in the hall of faith for? In Hebrews chapter 11? He's in the hall of faith for blessing his sons. When does he do that? Right before he dies. Right before he dies. And he's in the hall of faith. So when you look at your life, don't look at your life based on your worldly works and how much you've failed. And, oh my goodness, I haven't achieved what my father's achieved. And, you know, am I going to make it to be as old as my dad or my grandfather? I just wanted to be taller than my grandfather. I didn't care about the age necessarily. And then when I got taller than him, I realized he was shrinking. And so then it kind of burst that whole bubble. But we need to quit looking at those things. And we just need to start realizing that God's with us. God's walking with us we need to see things through his view which is a view of eternity and that's what he has in mind not necessarily us because sometimes we, we can't, like i said we can't see past tomorrow we're not guaranteed tomorrow we aren't so here's here's a quote by cs lewis all that is not eternal is eternally useless so this says follow and trust in Jesus, because He is eternal, and He's the author and He's perfecter of our faith, and He has eternity in view for you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word, and I pray, Lord, that You just continue to speak this to us and to our hearts, so that we can live and grow in the truth and the comfort and the blessings of Your Word. I thank You. I thank You in Jesus' name. Amen.